my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with the global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today on Five Things, we're going to talk about five things you really can't afford to miss with the skin as a bedside nurse. And we're welcoming Nigel Harris, who's the nurse practitioner for dermatology here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Welcome, Nigel. Good, thank you. Good morning, Jesse and Liz. Great to have you here. We always start off by interrogating our guests' origin story. So uh, I'm guessing when you started, you weren't thinking you were going to end up as a nurse practitioner in dermatology. No, no. I was on a career to uh, be a theatre nurse and uh, that's what my initial plan was for. And I just ended up being a nurse practitioner in dermatology due to the hand of fate. What does that mean? Um, (laughs) Well, I... I was working in theatre as a um, scrub scout and uh, went down to relieve um, in the dermatology theatres at that time called Minor Ops. And that was back in 1990 and then never came back, just stayed there. You literally and got absorbed by the skin. Yes, I was. <laughs> never just, came out. That's right, yes. <laughs> Things became skin deep. <laughs> Fantastic. Can you give us just a snapshot of a regular day for you? Uh, yeah, for me, well, my subspecialty of dermatology is essentially skin cancer and procedural dermatology. So I would spend my day um, biopsying things, excising skin cancers, maybe doing little skin grafts in the minor procedure unit. Uh, then I'd also uh, spend time doing a lot of telehealth, uh, phone calls with results from biopsies and the outcome of operations. So I suppose I'm mostly dealing in skin cancer and uh, taking care of that, that side of things. Quite procedural as well as perhaps at times having to deliver quite confronting news to people. At times, um, most of the time, you know, it's it's good news. We've been able to deal with uh, the patient's uh, problems. But occasionally there are cases where things have gone too far and, yeah, the news isn't, isn't real flash. But then, you know, we get in, support them and come up with a plan to deal with the problem as it is. Do you remember the episode of Seinfeld where they were talking, I think someone was dating a dermatologist and they say, oh, that's not real medicine, skin, you wash it, you wear it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's staying in for sure. (laughs) Okay, so today we're really going to go down to the practicalities about skin and, you know, it's winter at the moment in Australia when most of our skin becomes much more dry and itchy and irritable. Your number one is looking after itchy skin. Can you tell us, like, what are some of the common causes for itchy skin and what we can do with, about that for our inpatients? 
Yeah, well, the overwhelming reason uh, why people get itchy skin is that it's just too dry. Um, there's side effects of medication and disease processes that cause itchy skin, but the most common reason your patient's going to have itchy skin is it's just too dry. Uh, quite often, you know, a patient will be in for whatever reason, you know, skin cancer perhaps that's being excised, and I'll be chatting to them and I'll say, are there any other issues with your skin that we can deal with? And they'll say, oh, my skin's really itchy. They were never going to mention it. It's a side issue. It wasn't on anybody's radar. But it's really quite common to have itchy skin, um, particularly on the back or the lower legs. And a really good hack is just to get some Vaseline on it. Vaseline, uh, in hospital we like to call it soft white paraffin. It's all the same thing. Uh, it's cheap as chips. I mean, I got some from Coles the other day. Tub, 200 grams. Am I allowed to say that? No, it's just like not. the ABC. <laughs> not allowed to name it. But 200 grams of petroleum jelly, less than $3. Uh, and that's really affordable. I know we like to talk up really flash emollients and moisturisers with ceramides, this, that and the other, but they're very expensive and a lot of people won't buy them because they're very expensive. But if you can just tip them off, we can make you more comfortable with Vaseline. Now, if a patient with an itchy back, uh, you just rub the soft white paraffin or Vaseline, same stuff, and let it soak into the skin. And if they're feeling greasy and just buff the skin with a bath towel. That'll take all the greasiness off. And for most people, that'll be quite effective at, at getting rid of that itch that's irritating them that quite often they don't even mention to people. Uh, you know, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like if you've got itchy skin yourself, like you might be in for quite a major procedure. You might be incredibly ill, but the reason you can't sleep is not pain. It's your skin is dry and there are parts of your body like your back that you can't you can't get to yourself. You actually need someone to do that for you. When you're in hospital, you're in air conditioning. Air conditioning is, takes out the humidity, dries the skin. Perhaps your patient's not drinking enough. Um, certainly staying well hydrated uh, is good for the skin and keeping it nice and plump and helping with that that itch factor as well. And I often think about when patients, you know, often when people, particularly if they're elderly or frail or on palliative care, you know, you'll hear their visitors say, like, I don't know what to do. We just sit there. I often say to them, get some moisturiser and, you know, just rub it into their skin. Like and it's something you can do that's very comforting. They feel useful. Yeah, that you've hit the nail on the head. Okay, so Nigel, your number two is stasis dermatitis. First of all, what does that mean? Uh, stasis dermatitis is an inflammation irritation in the skin that's caused by lack of circulation. Now, you see this in uh, the legs where people have poor circulation and as it progresses, it can lead to ulcers and uh, uh, wounds. Now, the trick with stasis dermatitis is to get it early. If we get stasis dermatitis early, we can start measures early. 
One of the big problems with stasis dermatitis is getting people to wear their compression stockings. Now, I see people all the time who only wear their compression stockings when they're off to see the vascular team. (laughs) And that's because the vascular team insists they wear them. They come across to dermatology, they whip their stockings off, they don't like them because they're uncomfortable. The chief reason for this is that the stockings are coming to the picture too late. The stockings are being put on at a high compression pressure. Now, if you start early, you can put stockings on at a low pressure where they're less irritating. It's B, you can build up the pressure so that it's a, a gradient where they get used to the pressure on their legs rather than high pressure first up that they can't tolerate. You can start with pressure, a low pressure early in the picture and then build up, making it much uh, easier for them to tolerate the compression stockings. I'm picturing many, many patients that I've looked after over the years um, where you've got their generally a little bit of edematous in their lower leg. Their skin is by that stage often discoloured, darkened. Um, that's right, and, yes. and it's flaky as hell. <laughs> that, that's that's right, the yeah. picture I've got in my head of, this, of stasis dermatitis. And, and it's one of those conditions that seems like it just doesn't matter how much emollient you put on it, how much moisturiser you put on it. It just keeps going. It, it can relieve the symptoms in terms of itch and stuff, but in terms of reconditioning the skin, you just struggle to get there because we haven't addressed that underlying circulation issue. That's right, yeah. And you know, the vascular team is involved in the care of these patients and you know, there's certain things you can do with bypass of vessels and, and those sorts of things, but for main... For the mainstream of patients, they've just got really poor circulation in their legs. So things like elevating your legs as often as you can um, and walking. Walking is a really good exercise, gentle exercise to increase circulation, you know, in the legs. But uh, compression stockings are really important to prevent um, ulceration, you know, and the complications that come from stasis dermatitis. And I suppose, you know, if there's there's one take-home message, it is, uh, you know, if you can spot stasis dermatitis or poor circulation in the legs early, then you can get those stockings on early so that they're not such a problem. So when we're talking about stockings, let's say we've got a patient that comes in and they've got circulatory compromise to their lower leg. Are are we talking suitability to put on TED stockings or are we talking about specialised like specialised stockings for that condition? Well, early on, you can start with really simple things. Yeah, TED stockings, bit of tubey grip, flight socks are all very useful in the very early stages. When things get a bit more serious, then you need to have a Doppler of the circulation in your legs and work out the pressures uh, more scientifically. My tip on this would be the bedside nurse can actually bring attention to early circulation problems. Uh, you know, darker skin, bit of redness, um, skin just not looking the same below the knee as above the knee. Picking it up early is something that the, the nurse at the bedside can do and just bring attention to it. Okay, so number three is management of thin and fragile skin during hospitalisation. As we age, our skin undergoes quite significant changes. If you think of the skin on a baby compared to the skin of someone in their 80s, there's quite dramatic change there. 
uh, skin thins out, it loses its collagen and its structure, and it goes from being something that is quite robust and flexible to something that loses its flexibility and its structure. And when that happens, injury is, is much easier. I can think of an exact example that I've seen a number of times with this is um, during manual handling procedures, during patient handling procedures where we've been rolling someone to turn. Some of those areas to be really, really cautious of is um, behind the knee in, the, in that popliteal area where I, I can actually picture this happening. I remember this, this exact vision. It's haunted me. Um, one of our wardies at a hospital I used to work at, not this one, has reached over to the normal sort of points to assist with turning and their hand has slipped um, basically with the compromised skin from the popliteal area or just just towards the back of the thigh and it's just the skin's just peeled away and oh, bl- no. and started bleeding profusely because there was just that loss of um, I guess loss of the adhesion of the subdermal layer of the skin to that subcutaneous tissue and it's just come off like a sheet and it was really not overly aggressive patient handling or anything so one of the key kind of things with that is being is especially with gloves on being really cautious to spread the load of the uh, across the forearm and stuff when you're doing those assistive assistive patient handling procedures rather than gripping onto the skin and using using traction on the skin to actually generate the supportive force for the turn yeah you've hit it on the head there it's those shearing forces that cause the biggest injury and uh, the patient is out of, when they come into hospital, is out of their normal environment. The people um, handling them aren't used to them. So we've got increased opportunity for things to go wrong and for injuries to occur. One of the things we can do uh, to help protect the skin as we're moving them around the hospital and they're living in this uh, unfamiliar environment is to get some hand wool and just wrap their legs in like of this cotton wool uh, and that does a couple of things helps keep them warm in the hospital where um, many people uh, find it very cold but it also gives protection to the skin in case they you know banging and bumping into things that they're not used to their environment's different there's a table here there's a bit of metal uh on the structure of the bed over there that they're not used to. And when they bump and bang into these things, that extra padding from the uh, cotton wool bandage uh, can be quite effective at helping protect their skin from getting an impact injury. For those of us who are maturing, how much can you do now to start protecting your skin leading into older age? Uh, The... Certainly genetics does play a big part, uh, but the most damaging thing uh, to the skin in our part of the world is the sun, Mm. UV radiation. So if you could go back to your youth and protect your skin from the sun from a very early age, that would be the most effective thing that you can do. It's never too late to start protecting your skin from uh, the sun, so certainly cover up, sunscreen, moisturise, stay well hydrated and good nutrition is about as much as you can do uh, 
to look after your skin into old age. Well, I'm very white like Casper, the friendly ghost, so I'm hoping to really come into my four and my 80s and 90s with my skin. <laughs> Just enter your hot girl summer and <laughs> when you turn 80. I could be really hot in the nursing home. <laughs> First time ever. <laughs> well, uh, your skin is the most Instagrammable organ. Oh. <laughs> you don't. Nick's made a long-term investment. <laughs> You don't see Instagram stars posting pictures of their kidneys. Yeah. It's all, all the skin. You make a very good point there, Nigel. Very good. I think I suppose one last practical point on skin management is we stick a lot of things to people's skin. So like dressings, uh, securement dressings for IVs and stuff. And so big, I guess, tip for practice is using some sort of a skin prep prior to putting that down to actually condition the skin and Every single time, go and get a remove wipe before taking those dressings off. Don't just peel those dressings off because it will save a lot of long-term problems. Yeah, that's a very good point and um, I'm a very big fan of Cavalon. So number four is I guess being aware of elderly people and skin cancers and what's the downside if we leave those. Now this is a very interesting topic and uh, very close to my heart. It's Quite a complex one. Quite often I see a patient come in with a large lesion that is now a big problem that would have been easy to fix a few years ago. But a decision was made to, oh, we don't want to put mum through this. Oh, we didn't want to, you know, to have to have a needle and a wound. In hindsight, they now have a skin cancer that's far more painful than the procedure would have ever been. They've had it for several months and we've got a challenge. We need to cut this cancer out, but the tissues are so frail and so fragile that they're not going to hold a suture or be able to be repaired in the same way that a younger person with healthier skin would be able to. And all of this could have been avoided with something very simple a few years ago. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm. At the time... No doubt everyone was making the decision that they thought was the best. You don't want to put somebody through an operation that, you know, they're not going to live to see any benefit. But the problem is that we don't know how long, you know, how long an individual is going to live for unless they have very definite um, life-limiting factors in play you need to keep that window of opportunity open. Just because we decide not to operate today doesn't mean we don't operate tomorrow. And what I see in practice is that relatives particularly of people in nursing homes, when somebody comes in, they say, oh, we've decided not to treat that. A couple of years go by, it gets bigger, it's bleeding. Saw, oh, we decided not to treat that was the initial decision. So we need to encourage a flexible mindset where we haven't actually decided not to operate on that, but we've decided to watch that, watch for waiting. And if it does look like it's going to be sore, it does look like it's growing, then it's much easier to get in early than it is to get in later. I guess that's the difference between the art of active observation and just leaving something, isn't it? That's right, yeah. yes. Trying to bring that back to something that's applicable at the bedside is, I guess, having those 
curious questions as the bedside nurse where you notice something that looks like a lesion and just not assuming that it's known or it's it has been discussed thoroughly with the patient or their family because um, I think that can be a tendency with a lot of people that are older and they've got a lot of family around. We, we can just assume that it's kind of on the radar and that it's not something we need to bring up. Yeah, that's right. That's a very good point. Nurses are very well placed to pick up peripheral issues that nobody else is picking up. Now, number five, you, you want to talk to us about feet and toenails. Yeah, it's certainly a missed feature again. This is, and I suppose that's a characteristic of these five points. They're all sort of peripheral issues. Our feet, as we get older, uh, our feet are. Uh, subject to to a lot of change. At 85, your toenails are only growing at half the rate they were at 25. And we get this stacking of cells in the toenails, so they get really thick. Um, you're at increased risk of uh, ingrown toenail and pain you know, caused by toenails growing in an awkward way. Uh, you increased risk of getting a fungal infection. In fact, half the problems with nails um, are fungal infections. Uh, nails and hair are both accessory organs of the skin, so their hair and nails are looked after by dermatologists as well. And our feet, you're quite right. When was the last time you know any of us got down and washed our feet well in the shower, dried individually between the toes and moisturised our feet. They're a long way away from um, the rest of us, our hands. They're way down there at the bottom, so they don't tend to get the same attention as other parts of the body. And over a lifetime, uh, your feet can be neglected for a very long time. I've got a a little interesting bit of trivia as well. Um, Ottawa Health System and University creates a lot of clinical decision rules. And so they one of their rules um, that I found really interesting was a false prediction tool. And the single independent biggest predictor of likelihood of fall was inability to cut your own toenails. That had the highest individual association of any of the risk predictions within it. So it's a really useful false prediction assessment to look at someone's feet. And if they look like they're in really bad condition... Um, think high falls risk. Can we just do simply forget about our feet? And for all those lovely young nurses who are like listening out there, be mindful what shoes you are wearing now because as you age, it does have an impact, doesn't it? It certainly does. You know, and our feet need a lot more love and attention than, than they get in our society. We don't have the same flexibility perhaps in our society as, say, some of the Asian cultures, and a lot of that has to do with our style of toilets, of all things. Really? There's, yeah. Can uh, you please explain that? An Asian toilet, if you uh, like to look into it, requires you to squat. Mm. And you'll find that many of our elderly patients have very poor mobility. Not too many 80-year-olds can squat down on the floor and then stand up again. Mm. And that's, you know, gives huge central strength and and locus if you can do that. It also means you can get down and attend to your feet. Mm. Because those nails are now growing very slowly and they're very thick, they take a lot more strength and dexterity to cut. And that's the reason why feet are in such poor condition in many of our elderly patients. The first place to start with looking after feet for our elderly patients is just good hygiene. 
wash the feet, dry the feet, you know, dry in between the toes after a good wash, um, and reduce that burden of dead skin uh, that's on the feet, you know, for fungal infections to take off into. Mm. I think looking at those signs of like um, abnormal growth of the toenails, the yellowing, the discoloration and stuff, and flagging that the same way that as nurses we're really good at picking up oral thrush and saying, oh, they need some Nilstat um, to their medical team, but also considering there might be an opportunity to just, again, as a co-issue to treat um, start treating a fungal infection on the feet or on the toes? Yeah, that's right. You'll find that you know up to about half of the elderly will have quite significant fungal infections and it's another side issue that's being ignored and the nurse is well placed just to point out, you know, look at these nails and what we've got happening here with the fungal infection and um, get it attended to to make the patient you know, more comfortable and their feet are more durable and usable. Fascinating. Okay, so I'm going to have a go at summarising this. I think what today has really been great practical tips that uh, the bedside nurse or any healthcare professional can do to care about the skin for our inpatients. So number one was itchy skin and I I believe that the big message here was moisturise, moisturise, moisturise. You do not have to use something fancy schmancy that costs a lot of money. That petroleum jelly or soft white paraffin, which we have tons of in the hospital, works really well. And that this is something that our visitors can also do. So this can be about comfort, as you said, communication, a really nice nurturing thing that we can do for patients to help ease when anything else is going on. Number two, you talked about stasis dermatitis and my big tip here was to get in really early. Look for any discoloration, look for difference in colour in the skin from the knee to below the knee um, and you've got to get compression stockings on early, uh, address it early because people can tolerate the pressure, you know, and grade it up whereas once that skin is really sore, having high pressure um, stockings is quite painful and also don't forget to elevate the legs and to encourage people to walk and move around because that's all really going to help the circulation. So number three was on management of thin and fragile skin during hospitalisation. And I'd never heard of this before. You talked about these cotton wool bandages, which you very kindly have just handed to me. Um, and you're saying if someone's got really thin and fragile skin, they're in an environment they're not is not known to them. So to bandage up any areas of the skin that look particularly, you know, fragile, vulnerable, etc. Yeah, and we're talking limbs here, you know, arms and legs and things that are going to go out and collide and get an impact injury. Or yeah, so bandage them early. But I guess the other thing is, is just to remember if we're having to put any adhesives, bandages, sticky things for nasal gastric tubes, you know, cannulas, etc. Be very careful with the skin, put a protectant on and never ever tear something off without using one of the removal wipes, wipes or whatever you call it. Okay. Number four is, you know, there's a real downside of leaving skin cancers untreated in the elderly. And you talked about that, you know, often this comes from a good place where family members think, oh, we don't want to put our mum through this. So we're not going to do anything about it. And then it becomes these very big, painful, sore, weeping lesions. So anything that's on the skin, particularly of the elderly, but anyone, is really important to get it looked at early 
and to get it treated because it can save a lot of pain, angst, uh, and perhaps, you know, interventions, etc. down the track. Your number five, we talked about feet and toenails. Uh, they're not often not on people's radar. They're often tucked away under sheets or enclosed shoes. But once, as you, as we age, which was making me a bit icky, that as we age, your toenails grow half the rate and they get very thick. They can be very, if people can even get down there, they're very hard to cut and care for so that we probably need to get a healthcare professional to have a look at those feet. But just make sure that you wash them really well. I think you said 50% of elderly people can have fungal infections. Uh, It's really important to treat these. And we made the point that once your toenails or your feet are compromised, you are a fool's risk. And that can really jeopardise elderly people's opportunity to remain independent. How did I go, Nigel? Excellent. That was a beautiful summary. (laughs) Thank you. What a really interesting podcast, some very tangible things that everyone can do uh, at the bedside or even if you have elderly relatives. Thank you so much for coming and joining us on Five Things Nursing. Well, thank you for having me. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things. 